And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of One of These Years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I am Chris Burke, joined by Nick Baumgartner. Uh, I guess we can go by our nicknames one of our listeners gave us last Uh-oh, week. What do we got? Uh, you got uh, Baby Wojo. Uh, oh, I don't know how oh, you feel God. about that. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, I got guys. Vanilla, which okay. I guess is okay. Not Vanilla Thunder, <laughs> just Vanilla, which I... All right. You'll, you know you'll what you're it. getting. You know what you're getting. <laughs> Uh, it's fine. Very consistent. That's true. Probably yeah. could have been worse. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Lions uh, dropped to own four with a, a tough loss in Chicago. Yeah. Kind of a frustrating game to watch. Um, I'm sure that Dan Campbell said guys were more angry in the locker room after this one than they have been in previous weeks, which I think is understandable. And we'll get into to that. Just a reminder to get over. Still got a 50% off deal running at theathletic.com. If you haven't subscribed yet, head over there. You can get these episodes ad-free on the Athletic app. You can also find us at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all those usual spots. And uh, like I said, yeah, 0-4, we're going to get into this. I asked for questions on Twitter. We got a bunch of good ones, so we'll spend the second half of the show uh, going through some of the questions you guys sent in. First half, we want to talk about this Bears game because this was, I, I tweeted it afterward. Like the Baltimore game was rough. The end of that was yeah, like yeah. historically brutal, really bad. Uh, yeah. But this one, I think, was the most frustrating for the Lions because that was a very winnable game against a team that's not very good, uh, and it just kind of got away. Yeah, I mean, this is the one where you you're going to look back and say, you know, you got everything you wanted in this game, and you just botched it. Like that. I mean, really. I mean, if you look back on it. Offensively, they're moving the ball. You look at the turnovers and every time they go down the red zone and, you know, people fixated a little bit on the field goal stuff. We can talk about that too. But really the point here is, is that they just, in every single like critical spot, and it really wasn't, it was made a critical spot because of the error, but the way that they play with these long drives, you know, they just sort of saved the moment where they shot themselves in the foot for the very, (laughs) for the very end every time. And it was just like, you can't do that. And And in a game like this, I actually think that what made it more frustrating was that I actually think the Lions could have done it like once or twice and gotten away with it. This is like one of the rare times on the schedule that I thought that they could have maybe gotten away with a couple errors and still got out of it and been okay. But, you know, given all things that we saw, you know, headed into this game, but that, yeah, that was a frustrating watch for a couple different, you know, the offensive mistakes um, were one thing, but I also, it was a frustrating watch defensively for me because I thought they did nothing to put Fields in any kind of discomfort. And credit Chicago, of course, for not calling the game like an idiot for one <laughs> for once and like letting Fields <laughs> do some stuff that he's, you know, that he's comfortable with. But I mean, they never got it. And this isn't even a criticism really on Aaron Glenn. It's the front seven. They never got Chicago into second and long. They never got him into third and long. It was always second and manageable, third and short, like 
that's impossible. You can't play defense in the NFL like that. And what was frustrating for me was that you're doing it against a rookie who was like six of 30 last week and sacked 15 times. And it's like, that was frustrating. And it was, it felt like to me, and I think Chris, you, you would agree that like, they're better than that. Like that, the lions are bad, but they are better than that. And I think that that was my biggest sort of take, I think anyway, based on all we've seen to this point, they're a bad football team, but I think they're better than what we saw in that game. And that's the frustrating thing. Yeah, and just defensively, I'm just kind of going through the scorebook now even. And, like, Chicago had third and more than four yards, like, like only twice. a handful of times. And one uh, of them was damn near a safety. So. Right. And they <laughs> like, had the third I mean, and really long after Charles Harris forced the strip sack and the Lions somehow didn't recover that and right. Fields got back on it. But otherwise, you know, they were only in – third and medium a handful of times and they converted like one of them i think they converted one at the end of the game uh he hit Allen robinson on the last possession otherwise you know he had a completion that got him to fourth and one and he had a bunch of incompletions i think he scrambled i think the one that he scrambled um around the right side uh was like a third and four and he picked that up which we can talk about that one too, because that was <laughs> almost entirely Will Harris taking a terrible angle. It's completely Will Harris, yeah. Like you can't uh, do it. So, but yeah, I think you're right. I think that they were frustrated. Those first two drives, especially, were, uh, you know, they didn't get pushed around a lot in this game. But those first two drives, they got popped in the they mouth did. pretty good uh, up mm-hmm. front, and I, you know, went back and watched really, especially those first couple drives, but watched the whole game and it. I don't know. It's tough to win with what they have right now if everyone's not playing well in that front seven. And they did not right. play. Like, Raleigh right. McNeil played pretty well when he was in there, I thought. I thought mm-hmm. they got a few decent snaps from Owens Enrique. Brockers showed up a few times. But that was, you know, that was it, really. Charles Harris and Austin Bryant were getting washed out entirely on some of those mm-hmm. run plays to their yeah, side. Really the rough. linebackers yeah. were terrible, especially mm-hmm. er- like early in that game. You saw, we've talked a lot about Jalen Reeves-Mabin and, you know, like, why didn't Matt Patricia play him more? (laughs) Patricia was watching this one, buddy. This was kind of the reason why. Like, you watch that game and he got stuck on it. It wasn't just offensive linemen. Like, he got stuck. David Montgomery blocked him to the sideline once. And then they brought in Barnes. And Barnes just got killed on on the first touchdown run. He maybe lost his balance or something, but he got flattened by the guard coming in. And I thought he played better. Then he maybe did. the snap yeah. count uh, would have indicated. So we can get into that too. But yeah, I mean, this was. You're right. They didn't. They they drew up a couple blitzes that frustrated Fields and Harris got to him once, but not enough. Not good enough yeah, on yeah. that side of the ball. And then offensively, I mean, this is why. Like, yeah, the Lions shot themselves in the foot, but this is why even that Detroit plays the defense that it does because it's really hard to go 14, 15 plays in the NFL and score a touchdown. All those first three drives were all double-digit play counts, I think, and you get to the end, and then you screw up once, and that's it. And it's really hard to do that. And so the Bears kind of did bend but don't break, and then the Lions fell apart. But by the same token it falls into the same situation that we we used we saw with Patricia and Bob Quinn's teams when they would invest nothing in the front and then all of the calls that Patricia liked to talk about so much that he would have had on third and long never we never saw them 
because they were never in third and long. You never put right. a defense yeah. or an offense in conflict ever. <laughs> right. yeah. And the frustrating thing with this is that they have invested more in the front seven. And like you said, Chris, I thought, and McNeil continues to have good swings in there. And, you know, it's not perfect, but I think he is playing pretty well. And to a point where 21 snaps, I think I'd like to see 31, 35, somewhere in there. I think that's fair. And then you go down again, and, and Anzarike is, I think, not been as good as McNeil, but he's had a couple moments where it's been where you like what you see, and then he's had a couple where he's getting edged and he's getting blocked, but he's only at 17 snaps, and Nick Williams is at 40, and I don't understand that. Like that's, <laughs> and then you go to the same thing with Derek Barnes is at 18, and Reeves Maben is at is at 38, and you know Reeves Maben in coverage, I get it, I get that, and you know I do, but. Reeves maybe against the run. No, I don't I don't understand that. Like I let Barnes, let Anzarike, and let McNeil get in there. And if you're gonna make mistakes, let them make them and let them be the ones who learn from them. Like that's and you know, you showed me the stat yesterday, Chris, about you know, percentages of ta- what is it, percentages of tackles on a run play or something like that. Guys who are involved on a tackle. Like number of uh, I think let me pull it up. It was like percentage yeah. of uh how I don't even know how to phrase it. It was like the number of... It's a good uh, stat, if we can explain it like to what, you. <laughs> what percentage of snaps a player is yeah. making a tackle, I think, basically, yes. right? when he's like on the how, field. When he's like, on the field, yeah. how many snaps and how many tackles and what percentage right. that work out to? It's a, it's a metric of, like, how involved is the guy when he's on the field? Is he, like, getting in on the play? And, like, Barnes was number one on the list, and he's not... It's like 30% of the right. plays he's, he's in on, he's making a tackle. He's, <laughs> he's not on the field a ton, and he's only on the field mostly in run sets, right? So you see this situation, he's out there for 17... I'm looking at the PFF numbers. They've got him out there for 17 run snaps and only one coverage. So you understand, you know, that's that's fine because Reeves Maven's out there for the other 17 coverage snaps, but he's getting 21 against the run. Like, that's the one where I'd say Barnes needs to be in the game more on first and second down. That's why he needs to be out there. That's why you cut Jamie Collins, I thought. And that's my biggest gripe here about, you know, the way they played this game, maybe yeah. in general, and, and you know, across the board is like, the front seven was not good enough early in this game, and it should have been. Like that's sort of where I would scratch my head at a little bit. Well, that's and that's the thing with McNeil for me too. He played, I think he said twenty one, and like eighteen of them were run reps, and that's just his role. He's a you know he's their yeah. nose tackle in their base defense. But we saw in camp when they let him get into a gap and go up the field and pass rush a little, he was tough to handle, and so this is. You know, I don't know. The Bears were one yeah. for eight on third down, to your point. And that's not a just, good team. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> like, if you got them to third down, you were getting off the field. And they just couldn't get to third down because they weren't good enough on those early right. downs. And that's sort of been the theme so far. Aaron Glenn keeps talking about how good they are on third downs. But, you know. <laughs> you're right. You're, you're never getting, in third and long. Right. Yeah. If, you're, if you're getting run over, if teams are converting on second down and moving the chains. <laughs> right. It doesn't help you that much. Uh, right. yeah. Second yeah. and three is not a good place to be living, guys. Like that's right, and that's what, and that's what, the, and in the first couple of weeks, I felt like they were coming up with enough answers to put offenses in more of those situations. We saw that, you know, we saw the Packers have to solve some things, and we saw, you know, Glenn get to stay in that shell a little longer because he was being, they were being better against the run, maybe earlier. And it made a lot of sense when they wanted to get Collins out of there and get Barnes in because the times Barnes was on the field, they were better on first and second down. And yeah, I think going forward, that's my gripe here with Campbell and, and Glenn is that like 
trust your plan more, I think. I think this is one where I say, like, you need to go further all in on these young kids that you really are buying in on, and they're doing it a little bit. You see the conversations we have with Campbell about they want to play Jerry Jacobs. They think A.J. Parker is going to be a good player, and they are willing to take the bad with the good right now. Do it with the rookies, man. Like, what are you doing with Nick Williams playing 40 snaps? I don't get it. Like, that's the stuff that's sort of like, it's hard to, it's hard to square it right now. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the front seven to me is, is curious in general, especially now because Romeo Core is down for the year. Trey yes. Flowers is still banged up. They've got this, like, basically an entire backup starting defensive line just sitting on the <laughs> shelf with right. Hand, uh, Kevin Strong. Flowers, I mean, it's obviously a starter. Jay Sean Cornell is a guy who looked really good in camp, I think is another, you know, maybe pass rush guy. But basically every time they went to, you know, their sub packages on Sunday, it was Brockers and Williams inside with Okwara and Charles Harris. And then once Okwara got hurt, it was Charles Harris and Austin Bryant on the edges. And that was it. You didn't really see a lot of mix and match. And we didn't see McNeil. Alonzarike was in there a little bit. Julian Okwara was in there a little bit, but I would, I mean, I, I don't know. I still like, and I don't want to hang it all on Nick Williams, certainly, because um, I think he's no, been okay. No. I think he's been yeah, fine. He's doing his job. He's doing his job. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean that as a criticism even to him. I just mean that, you know, the younger guys got to play. Like that's, they're here with higher ceilings, I think at this point, right? Well, and it's like, you know, that's the deal. Why do you think that that has happened like at cornerback, Bobby Price got just torched again on Sunday, yeah. and now they, you know, they moved in Jerry Jacobs, and we saw Daryl Worley play some uh, safety. But up front, they've pretty much tried to stick with, you know, those veteran guys for the most part, and sort of mix in the young guys. And like I said, McNeil's part of the base base defense, but they've tried to stick with the veteran guys for the most part. So, is that just the makeup of the roster? Is that because they feel like they need to? win games up front like what's the answer there it's a hard one always because like I I do wonder if part of it with Campbell and Glenn too and all the guys really is with the younger guys you want to make them you want to make it so they're still earning their reps right like you you want them to get in a perfect ideal world I think you want them to get every single rep so they screw up every time and they learn from it and it's valuable and who you know that's the best stuff but you don't want them to get into a situation where they're just gifted 60 a game like because they're younger and everybody else is older and it's going to be what it is. If I had to guess, it, that's a big part of it. And a lot of that would have to be, you, know, you look at what are you doing every day in practice? Are you being consistent enough every day the way they want you to be and these types of things? Uh, and I understand all that. And I think that they've kind of brought this along at a slowish pace. And I think that if we go back and look at the rep charts every week, like I think you'll see like Levi's are – a little higher every week. They're not huge jumps, but like it starts to grow a little bit every week, a little bit, a little bit, and then it's sort of whatever. I, I just think this is the time where you may, maybe you cut the cord on some of that. You know, like it's you're four games in. Let's see what Barnes can do with forty reps, right? Like so, so you can make a judgment on where you have to go next. And I think that you can't know where you have to go next on some of these young guys until you throw them in there, and let's see what happens. Like let's see what he can do with all this on his plate and they haven't done that yet in some of those areas. And it's, uh, I think they should, because I don't, what do you got to lose? Right? Like that's kind of how I yeah. look at it. And I mentioned too on Twitter that I, at one point Barnes was over talking to the training staff on Sunday. So I don't know that he's a hundred percent still, whether it's the shoulder or whatever, but 
Yeah, that, that could, could be, be part too. of it. Yeah, certainly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, Reeves Mabin is struggling in those run sets, and Alex Anzalone is struggling too, which is not helping you. And the safeties aren't doing a whole lot, so it's sort of all falling apart. AJ Parker probably had his worst tackling game. I don't know. There aren't any great answers here, right? Like, there's not. No, a no. Your good solution. players, which you don't have many, can't play bad, and you know, like, and that's the thing here. I think that happened in this game, right? Like. And the, losing Okora is huge, a huge big hit. problem. Yeah, huge right? hit. Like, I mean, just also, can we talk about who in the hell has ever had two starters blow an Achilles out in the same month of an NFL season? Has that ever happened? It's unreal. There's no way. That has to be a record. I, that's the first thing I could think about. And not like fringe Sunday. guys like, either. Your cornerback one yeah, and like, your best defensive player right. you're gone. Romeo months. Romeo might have been their best player. Like right. Yeah. Period. Overall, I've never seen anything like that. That's horrible. Like I can't. It's a huge loss um, for a number of reasons because he was turning like his game last week against the Ravens or two weeks ago now. I guess was outstanding. He, Romeo Okora was turning into and Campbell said it um, when we talked to him yesterday. And you could you know like how much he hated it for him because he was turning into a legit dude. You know what I mean? Like. And these Achilles injuries, we talked about it with Okuda. You just don't know how guys are going to respond when they come back. And they just, re, you know, they just signed him to that extension. And it looked like it was about to pay off. And boom, you know, and it's like, why? <laughs> you know, like, that's one of those where you just say, what? Like, I don't know. Those that's, are the he, ones that hurt. Yeah. Like, so hurt bad, you know, for a rebuild, too. Like, this yeah. year, it's a killer, but in terms that that's a guy you were building that defense around, and he's playing yeah. like you, he you should build the defense around him. And now you just kind of cross your fingers that he's going to be there in July mm. or August or whenever, because, like you said, who knows? I mean, I think yeah. you probably have a better chance of coming back from an Achilles up front. Like, Cornell probably, just had but, it last year, he looks yeah. fine, but. That's a tough God, injury. I forgot about that. Yeah, it is. And just, you know, for a guy, too, that plays on the edge that, you know, they do ask him to run more. You know, you know, he was a guy that was growing into that, you know, hybrid role we talk about a lot that who knows what all you could have done with, you know, a piece like that if he could really become that guy who could float out and cover a little bit, too. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully he can figure it out. But, I mean, God, that's just... I think he and Ragnow got hurt like within 30 seconds or whatever of each other. And it was like, what is happening? That first quarter and a half was one that, uh, yeah, nobody, nobody needs to go through that, but it, it hurts for a number of different reasons. And I don't even know. I mean, cause like, that's the type of guy that you don't want to take snaps from. Like we talk about, like, you got to get younger guys in there and whatever, but like, okay, but it can't come at his expense. It can't come at Romeo's expense because he's a young player like Tracy Walker, right? Like, He's a young player, too, who's also growing, who's going to be here as well. And when you lose a guy like that, and Okuda was in the same conversation, though not as established, um, yeah, it changes the math on the rebuild, I think. And it doesn't – there aren't guarantees anymore or certainties like you were for sure on Romeo. And now, you know, you can't really be for sure, and that's hard. So what's the – what do you think the plan is going forward without him for the rest of this season? I mean, obviously, if they get tri- uh, Flowers back, he's going to be yeah. in there. And then it's probably Harris and Bryant – Okora, Julian Okora yeah. at the other spot, but that's like Romeo Okora was playing really well on all three downs, and he was their best pass rusher. He was their most dynamic guy up front, right? And so now Flowers is a totally different type of 
edge guy, I think, for them. So I don't know that they can replace what they're losing there. No, they can't. It has to be with like three guys. So it's a couple things. I, Julian Aquara's reps have to go way up. Like I think that that's number one, and that means they have to trust him against the run more. And I don't, you know, I don't know if he's ready, but the, <laughs> you know, he those reps have to go up. Uh, I would say the same thing for Austin Bryant, and he absolutely has to be better against the run because it wasn't good enough uh, last week. And then you know, every edge guy that you have basically has to. Charles Harris, his role goes up too. But all three of them have to sort of find their way. And that was the big thing with Aquara Romeo last year was, you know, he did such great work against the pass, uh, you know, when we were always like, well, is there anything more there? Is he, what's he going to be able to do against the run? And then we saw this year a guy who was doing both. He was a three-down defender. Yeah, I don't think they have another three-down defender at that sort of weak side edge spot uh, on this team or that, you know, linebacker weak side end, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if they have another guy quite like him. So it's going to have to be you know, with a couple of different guys. And then also I would say, like you mentioned earlier, Chris, like we have, can play out there. Like there's, that, there's fronts yeah. that you can put together where you put Aleem McNeil as a nose and you put the tight front or whatever out there. And he can do that. He can play yeah. out on the, it's just a different way of playing, but you know, there's, there's things you can do. I well, guess. especially in those sub packages, I'd love to yeah. see that. Like, I'd like to see McNeil or Anzarike inside because Brockers can step out and play on the end too. If yeah, you're going he can to too. Four down mm-hmm. and Nick yep. Williams. Like, you have some options, um, but not yeah. nothing great. <laughs> you have no, to piece it together and figure it out. And, and again, like uh, this is the one spot where if they can get a few other guys healthy, that they actually have some possibilities, like safety. Mm-hmm cornerback uh, we keep talking about this every week because like daryl worley they signed to play corner and now he's starting corner in the, in the safety <laughs> rotation like they don't have another corner they i don't know right. I, we've got some questions coming up about Holmes and how he approached this offseason but this is like i don't I don't really know what you say anymore about Will Harris and about what's happened on the back end there because the miscommunication stuff is still happening. The missed tackles are still happening. The bad reads. Like, there isn't a lot positive going on in the secondary. No. I mean, like... Or is playing pretty well. I will say, like, Or Horry has been fine. Like, Harris had been making these, like, slow strides where he's tackling a bit, you know, he'd been tackling a bit better. He'd been, like, fitting the run a bit better. Um, and he'd been like stable, more stable, I guess, in coverage to a point where he wasn't just getting completely like, what is happening? Where are you? But, uh, <laughs> you some just of that can't, came back. You so, cannot like, ever play him. <laughs> no, you just I can never ever play him single high. I think is part of no. it. Like you can't leave him up there as, even if you're like rotating, there was the one deep pass, uh, that it was a, something happened with the communication with Walker Harris and Bobby Price and you know the receiver Mooney I think ran down the field and was wide open and Harris came over late and but that's another one where, like he just doesn't have the range to cover that sort of ground no, he doesn't. so and he Look, doesn't see the game well enough to get over no. there early so you're like that's <laughs> it that's it for a safety playing at that free safety spot like if you're not fast enough and you're not seeing the game well enough to get a jump that's it you're not going to yeah, make up that 100%. ground a lot of these judgments on some of these are going to have to be reserved for what they do in the offseason, I think. Because, like, Harris, I understand wanting to ring him out. Like, I understand the staff being like, look, he was a third-round pick. He's not that old. Uh, there's some things he can do. He's not a bad athlete. Like, let's ring this out and see. Let's just give him 
eight games. And if he's a disaster for eight games, we're in a, the same spot that we were when we had this conversation in April or whatever, right? Like, I think that that, if that's how you're approaching it with the understanding internally that like, if he's a disaster this year, we get to the end of the year and we dump him and we move on. Like that's what, you know, if that's what you do, fine. But if this continues over into like funny math about how he's improving in certain areas, but he's still a complete nightmare in others. And we're doing this thing where we talk about how we just need to give him some more time then we have a different conversation because to Chris's point here, you you can't play him 45 snaps in a football game. <laughs> like, I mean, like you just can't do it anymore. Like he's, if you can find some sort of package or some sort of role for him, work on that. But like the answers going forward, and maybe this is what we'll see. Maybe Jerry Jacobs or some one of these guys, or like you said, Worley, I don't know. Maybe that's how it's going to go going forward. I don't know, but like, it can't just be a default answer, and I don't know that it is a default answer that Will Harris is going to be the safety of the future here, but like that certainly can't be the thinking going forward because it's just not good enough. I mean, in any in any way, Walker's been good, and you know you'd like to see, you'd like to see him get to play with a good safety, right? right. Like, I yeah, think that right. That's another thing that I would add. Like I'd like to see Tracy Walker, for the love of God, get to play with another decent safety back there and see what could happen, and it just. Yeah, well, you know, Diggs is making plays in Seattle, I guess. (laughs) What could have been? (laughs) But that's another part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's like, but it's one we can't get the answer to right until, I don't think, you know, until they have to make a move with it, which I don't think that's happened anytime soon. So offensively, we talked a little bit about it. The, The failures in the red zone, they made three trips. They made five trips inside the Chicago red zone and four, maybe all five inside the 10 and got one touchdown out of it. And then they had the 25-yard pass from Goff mm-hmm. to Raymond for another touchdown, but just sort of fell apart in the red zone. They kind of got away from the run game in the second half because they they sort of had to. They were down 21 nothing pretty early in the third quarter again and and sort of scrambling with the pass game. Uh, Sewell struggled. Mm-hmm. Uh, guys weren't really getting open. It wasn't a great Hawkinson game again. I mean, I, I don't know where you want to start with this. If you want to start with the fourth down decisions or the line uh, or what, but I'll let you go somewhere here. Let's start with the, just the general. Cause you, you kind of mentioned it there. A lot of guys had rough days. Um, and I actually don't think this was Goff's worst day. Um, I don't think it was great uh, or, <laughs> or whatever. And he obviously had some misses, but like, I think this was also as much about, you know, a lot of other guys, like you said, Chris, like you can pull the all 22 up on a lot of these pass routes and there is nothing. No one is open. And I mean, no one. And it's like, not even, well, golf, throw them open or like, you know, give the guy a chance. Well, no, that's not going to work either because as we've seen, you know, like, and God love a guy like Khalif Raymond for busting his butt. He's not going to run himself open. Okay. Like that's just not going to happen. Cephas is about the only guy that you have and Hawkinson when he's not being draped by six defenders that can sort of like run themselves open, I guess, Swift, but nobody was open. There wasn't much, you know, there. And again, I say like, this was a Hawkinson, not good enough. Like he needs to play better. Like the best players need to be better. And I Swift, I think that there were a couple opportunities in that game. You know, there was a couple pass pro situations when we talk about, you want to keep him on the field and he got, he was out there for a lot, but I think he can be better. Your best players have to be better. And offensively, you know, that wasn't the case here in this one. I think it was an all hands on deck sort of rough day uh, from a lot of guys. Um, although I did think the backup center played better than I thought he would. Yeah. Um, he to was be, <laughs> I thought yeah. Evan Brown 
hung in there better than I thought, but Played pretty just not. Well. Yeah, disappointing day. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, I think that this was another one where it just sort of naturally happens in a game like this, and especially because the quarterback is who he is. Everyone jumped all over Goff, and he missed some throws for sure. The fourth and one at the end needs to be a completion. He had the shot up the seam to Khalif Raymond. Should have been a touchdown. Even the one to Swift on fourth and five that got tipped away, there was a window there for a minute, and Swift was open, and yep. running his little angle route, and he didn't give him the ball. So th- there were some opportunities. Given the pass rush he was getting, and like you said, with those issues down the field from the receivers, I thought Jared Goff was all right. <laughs> I didn't yeah, think he was, he was great. I thought yeah. he was fine. He made some things happen. They had a couple of those nice plays where uh, he got out of trouble, and Cephas and St. Brown did a really good job downfield, keeping their routes alive and finding some space. Some good stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, it wasn't good enough. They couldn't find any explosive plays again. I think to your point about Swift, some of that goes back to the pass rush and the fact that they didn't trust, they couldn't trust Sewell. And then Nelson was sort of hobbling. I don't know that they really trusted him. So they had to keep a back in to help. And Swift's not great at that in the first place. Uh, You know, and one time they, they, you know, oh yeah, no, they, he needs Bears to be better. Ran there. a ran a stunt or something and got it was like Swift on Khalil Mack, oh. and you're gonna that's done. I can't Forget even. Deuce Staley <laughs> is just bubbling. Watching There's these, no way that's gonna happen. <laughs> but you know, a lot of those plays, if you go back and look, Swift has, to, like you said, has he to does, stay in yeah. and chip, and then he's in mm-hmm. five yards in the backfield when Goff's getting ready to throw the ball, and that I'm like maybe you just put it in his hands anyway, but it's not great. Um, right. Hawkinson's the one for me that this was disappointing. This was. was a disappointing Hawkinson game on a lot of levels, not just as a receiver. Yeah. No, I mean, as a run blocker, then yeah, like this is the time to have this conversation, I think. And this is the right time because this was not good enough. And I think that there's a couple times in this game where, you know, you could see, and it's happened a few times, where he's coming down on a split zone or they're going to trust him on, you know, a one-on-one and he's just getting destroyed. And it's like, and it's a one-on-one with an end that's not, you know, 290. It's, you know, it's a one-on-one with an end that's reasonably, you know, someone he should be able to block. And I understand if defenses are working to take him away in the past game. And, you know, there was one, uh, a tough one on the sideline that hit his hands at Tlaib, actually thought on the broadcast maybe he should have hung on to that I thought would have been a tough catch. So there's some of those that are tough, but like the blocking is the one that I'm just like, you're not... He's not going to get to where they need him to be as a player to be fully optimal until he's a better run blocker, and it is not good enough right now. And it's not just it's not just this game, you know. And I think it's happened a couple times. And um, when you don't get the receiving end on the other side of it, it probably sticks out a little more and is a little more frustrating. But yeah, he needs to be better because he is their best player, and he cannot play like that in any game this season for them to have a chance. This was one of those games, too, the passing attack. You know, nobody's getting open. This was one of those where the Bears were just sort of daring the Lions mm-hmm. to th- take some one-on-one shots. They were playing up and press a ton. They were, you know, just one safety up top. They were really bunching guys up towards the line of scrimmage. And so Hawkinson had some opportunities with a safety on him, with a linebacker on him, and they just couldn't really find anything there. A couple of them were, you know, you mentioned the, that one that Tlaib, I think it was first and 10 when it was 14 nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawkinson tried to go down and catch it and couldn't come up with it. Goff sailed one out of bounds. They had a one-on-one up the sideline. He tried to go to him in the slots, like up the seam on a third down, and it got knocked away. And it's just not – somebody's got to make a play. 
uh, whether it's Hawkinson, you know, somebody's got to get in there and make a play. Whether it's Hawkinson yeah. or Goff, like those are the opportunities you want. If he's going to be an elite tight end, I, I don't know. You've got to hit those if teams are daring you to hit them, right? Yeah, a big time. And I think that, you know, for his, his path to being an elite tight end <clears throat> is very similar. It's not Kelsey, it's Kittle. That's Hawkinson's path. Hawkinson is not the athlete Kelsey is. He is much more, you know, he can do a lot of the stuff, though, that I think George Kittle can do. And, like, we haven't seen him unlock that run-blocking piece of his game that, I mean, I don't know, Chris, like, am I remembering this wrong? When you remember back to when the Lions took, and even before that, you know, you watch college football, when Hawkinson was at Iowa, they raved about his blocking, and this was after Kittle had been there, and to a point where it seemed to me that they were raving about Hawkinson's run blocking higher than they were Kittle's, and Iowa's staff knows a thing or two about run blocking. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we yeah. can trust them, right? Like, he was showing stuff at Iowa that was just outstanding, and and it was there. It was on tape. I remember watching it, and I, we just have not seen that from him in the NFL. And this is – I'm not talking just this year. And he was a little better at the end of last year, but this is now a couple of years here. We have a pretty decent sample size. And I got to say, I mean, like, that's a part of his game where I'm underwhelmed. I mean, the run blocking for me with him is underwhelming. And I think that he can be better. And I think if he was at that, like, whoa level as a run blocker, this offense could be, whoa. You know what I mean? Like with yeah. some of the stretch stuff and some of the stuff you could do in the run game. And it's just not there yet. And, um, you know, that's the thing that I keep sort of that's my frustrating part, I guess, with Hawkinson that showed up more in this game because you needed it to be there and it wasn't. And it's, you know, it wasn't like he was a disaster, but, you know, it, I just, I think that there's more there and we haven't seen it yet. Well, I want to get to the questions, but I, I think we are like obligated to spend a couple minutes on the fourth oh, yeah. down calls here. Yep. Let's do uh, it. <laughs> so fourth and five down 14 nothing, right? They go fourth and five. They don't get it uh, down at the Chicago goal line. And then fourth and one at the end of the game, they're down 10. I said and like Goff said that's a throw that needs to hit St. Yeah. Brown was there the route was there for the first down it was a bad yeah. throw uh Herman Moore uh, tweeted yeah, out that he thought St. Brown didn't get out of his yeah. route fast enough you know on a fourth I, down I would agree Campbell yeah. said they should have huddled up and got a different play call and so a lot of breakdowns there but <laughs> yeah, just a mess yeah, right. <laughs> the analytics the numbers suggested Dan Campbell was right in both spots to go for it mm-hmm. do you have any <laughs> disagreements oh, yeah, no, there? No, no, zero. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with math. So, like, I mean, like, <laughs> they were right to go for it. And I have no problem with any decision he made in any of those fourth down situations. And I wouldn't have a problem if he continues to do it every single time. But, but, and this is the conversation, this is why I think it's important that we have this discussion here. He got into something yesterday that was super interesting. Yep. In that they are not, as an offense good enough in third and three, third and four, fourth and three, fourth and four, fourth and two, whatever, short yardage. They're not good enough as an offense and got to have it short yardage to just default so quickly at get out there and run it and let's get a yard here because our line, you know, or whatever. It's, and I think to his point, Campbell's, it's not, I'm not questioning my decision-making. I'm questioning our preparedness to execute in that situation. And I think that that is where his focus should be. And it seems like that's where it is. And I guess we'll see if that impacts his decision-making on fourth downs going forward. But uh, folks, no. 
A touchdown from the five is better than a field goal from the five in every single situation. And I, whatever, you can complain about that all you all you want. I'm never going to fault him for that. I mean, they're trying to win the game. Like, that's the best way I can say that. Uh, all right. I do guess you, I'll do play you have devil's a, advocate. Do you have a <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, it's hard, but... It is what it is. I guess I'll argue against the math a little bit because someone needs to do it. We argue against science all the time now these days. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, I, my, I, I pointed out in our observations, like the fourth and five, I got it because he talked a lot about following the numbers, which pointed to going for it there. Not a huge lean, right. but you no, know, that's fair said, too. Yeah. So they could go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the as I pointed out in our observations, I think his when he talks about gut feel, it was fourteen nothing. The defense got shredded those first two drives. I don't know that kicking a field goal there makes you feel great as an offense. Fourteen to three, no. you don't feel good about that. You don't feel good about coming out of there down two possessions. Still, you had two drives in there. I get keeping the foot on the gas, and again, the play was there. The yeah, that's not them. Was there? Yeah, that's not them. Um, yeah, I, agree. I agree. But fourth and five. Fourth and goal from the five is tough because you can't run the football. The pass protection already at that point in the game looked like it was kind of shaky, and we just talked about how no one was able to get open. Right. So what are your options there? Uh, right. And they got Swift open a little bit. Hawkinson broke open late as Goff was already throwing and as he was getting hit, so I don't think he ever really saw him. You're kind of limited in what you can do, and so that would be my argument for kicking there. Is it's just a tough spot? Like if it's fourth and seven, I think you definitely kick. So does fourth and five that much better to you? I, I don't know. Uh, the other one, I didn't love it in the moment because a few goal there gets you within seven. You could kind of feel the Bears, yeah, crumbling a little bit. Bearsy. Yeah. <laughs> I was just sort of curious what it was going to look like point. if it was a one possession game and they stopped the run on first down, what <gasps> Chicago would do with Justin Fields. Would they let him throw if you got to third and five there? Well, now I I'm don't just know. curious that we didn't get to see Maggie <laughs> puking on the sidelines right. in that situation. Because you, we were, we, you know, we were chatting as the game, as, as we oh. always do. And you said yeah. when they were down in the fourth quarter there. Like, oh, right. the Bears are going to screw up this next possession. It's going to have nothing to do with the Lions. And then two <laughs> plays later, Fields got it's hit like, and fumbled, and they lost 25 yards. So I, I, that was my main justification oh. for kicking there was just I wanted to see what happened to Chicago if it was a seven-point game and they got make, into, like, third and yeah. six. Make the Bears be the Bears. Right. right? I like, like it. Give yourself yeah. a chance. But I understand going for that one. It's fourth and one. You're at the eight, whatever it was, nine-yard line, ten-yard line. You got a play that worked. You had the Bears kind of reeling defensively. I right. don't, you know, I didn't love it in the moment, but I don't have a problem with that one. The fourth and five for me is a little harder to wrap my head around just because of the down and distance and spot on the field. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, and I think that that's all completely fair. And I think that that's the conversation that they do have to have going forward. And I think that was kind of what Campbell was saying. Like that would probably have to impact your decision there going forward. Like, are we good enough right now to get a fourth and five? From the goal, you know, for at the goal line, are we good enough? Um, they thought in that game they were, and they're not. Like, and I think that in that game, I didn't have a problem with it at all, especially because it's the Bears. Like, they're not good. <laughs> like, I mean, like this is a game where you know they've got a couple of them coming up here that are, that are you know not against opponents like we talked about. You know, when you're playing the Ravens or the 49ers, and it's like, boy, you got to get this thing or the Packers. If you like 
you know, breathe wrong, you're losing. You know, like that was that was that game. These games are a little more. You can be a little more. You know, maybe take a shot here or whatever. And I understood their motivation and wanting to do that. I had no issue in the moment with how he called the game. I think that's who they are. I think that's who Dan Campbell is as a coach. I think that's why the team responds to him. That he, you know, those are faith calls in a lot of cases for the roster. For the coach, it's not. It's a sure. math call. It's like science. But like when the roster's out there and the offensive line's out there and they hear fourth and three, we're running it. Okay, let's go. Like that's how that goes. So I think that's them. I think that that's part of their identity. I think that's how Dan Campbell is always going to call games to a degree. That's how Sean Payton calls games. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's. That's how Patricia called it to a degree, right? I mean, like, to be fair, I mean, they, they went with the numbers most yeah. times, yeah. I would say. Um, but, you know, to be clear, I think there were also times, too, where Patricia, rightly so, would make a decision maybe that would go against the numbers in those, like, medium situations, right? Where it's like, this is a pretty good opportunity. It's not great, right? Like, those kind of spots. I, I also, we're, yeah, we're I mean, I also think Patricia sort of skewed back towards more conservative because usually he yeah. had Matt Prater um, right. and they just, well, if it's fourth and two with the 40, we're got to, We may as well kick. We got a few. Yeah, goal. I mean, he can get it. So, uh, right, yeah. but so we'll get in the questions here. The last thing I would ask though, is you mentioned the identity and this is a team that wants to win in the trenches, wants to run the football. Jamal Williams averaged 4.7 yards per carry. Yeah. Why didn't you run? They it? need to run the ball <laughs> on those spots. Right. And we've I talked mean, about this after the Green Bay complaint. game, I think, yeah. Fair uh, because they threw yeah. on fourth and one. Uh, right. But it's and there. This is, like, this is the discussion <laughs> that people need to fixate on. You don't need to focus on the decision of whether or not to run a play. <laughs> you need to focus on the play that they ran, right? Like, And that's the, that's the fair criticism, I think. I totally agree with that. Like, Williams is getting it. Your you, Jonah Jackson was great in this game, right? Like picked it up big time, especially after Ragnow goes out. So, you know, yeah, that's the one where if you're going to go back and scratch your head, it's like, and I think Campbell said that too. Like somebody asked him, like, why don't you run it there? He's probably like, good point. Maybe we should have, you know, like maybe, <laughs> maybe it right. would have worked, right? But like, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely one, and it's something that uh, needs to be examined because it's probably yeah, you know, it's why they lost the game. I mean, that's they the Bears won that game, but the Lions also lost that game, I'd say. Uh, and that's probably the reason why it feels a little different. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, so let's get into your questions here. we got a bunch of them, so we'll try to get through as many as we can and uh, try to answer on Twitter if we don't get into them here in the podcast. Uh, we got one from Scott Yarmuth here. Um, sorry for the names that I mispronounce as we go, but... Uh, <laughs> So Campbell said a couple times, he said after the game Sunday, he said again Monday, he said in his hit with uh, 97.1 on Tuesday uh, that they have some young guys that they think are playing well in big moments and they trust, and there's some young guys that they might have to scale back and get out of the lineup in those key spots. And so the question is, who are they talking about there that is not (laughs) going to be playing anymore? That is a great question. I mean, I think that... What I would say, Bobby Price is probably one that you're looking at right now and saying, are we overloading him? Like, is he getting too much? Like, he came in here, he switched positions. Like, it's been pretty bad the last two weeks, especially. Like, that would be one. But again, like to your point, what do you do there? I don't know who replaces him. I think another one would be Jerry Jacobs would maybe be a guy when they're talking about a younger guy that maybe they want to see. They like him. They want to see more of him. But maybe there's a guy like Price where it's like, maybe we maybe we can find a way. I don't know. I mean, that's one. That's where my head went immediately. I was curious for your thoughts on the same thing. Because when I think of the young guys, a lot of them, I think, need to see more time. Uh, but right. that's, you know, maybe the yeah. UDFAs are guys that I'm, I'm wondering about. Maybe they need less. I don't know. Right. I would think that's where my mind went, too, into the secondary. And that's where he keeps talking about having the miscommunications, too. Um, so, I... I don't, I mean, that's like the natural spot. I can't even really think of other guys. Like, where like AJ, else would you pull like, someone off the field? Like AJ Parker, but again, I don't know. Like, AJ Parker know, is a guy man. that I'm thinking about because it's like, is he overloaded? I don't think he's overloaded. I think he can actually handle that. But even if yeah. he wasn't overloaded, let's say he was, I don't know who you're putting in there instead of him. Like, to, you have to call up so, Roby Coleman, but I think yeah. AJ Parker's been fine. And this right. was probably his worst game as a yeah. tackler. They count on him so much off the edge. He had some misses there, including on the fourth and one early. Like Montgomery ran right into him and he missed him. And then they didn't, and the Bears ended up converting there. But I, yeah, I don't. To me, it's got to be those guys on the edges, or maybe at safety. Maybe that's where Daryl Worley's coming in here. Maybe you're going to see Worley and Marlowe together at yeah, safety. I don't know. Um, and I, and yeah, I would I say, know. I mean, I would say, well, well, let me ask you this, though. Well, who are the guys that need to play more? 
would you? I mean, is it the guys that we think it is, or is it, or is it someone else? And this is the this, maybe this is the old Patricia days coming back into my head here, where we used to have to play like the guessing game, because when he says some of these young guys need to play more, like Julian O'Quara needs to play more, right? Like, is he, right. that's who he's talking about, right? Let's like uh, Aline McNeil probably needs to play more. I I think those are maybe the guys he's talking about, like, but I don't know that, and it's kind of like I'm curious to see. Yeah, Barnes owns Arike. I mean, again, yeah, Barnes, I don't. There's yeah. only so many options. I don't know who else. Maybe it's Jerry Jacobs. Maybe like he just I thinks think Jerry Jacobs, Jacobs is, is mentally. Yeah. yeah, I agree. They like him, I, yeah. but I don't know. Like, does he mean that Kaderil Hodge needs to be in at wide receiver? No, idea. I, I have no. I mean, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that it's probably the guys that we think it is. I in think this, so too. In this situation, it but. usually is right. Like with Campbell, like it usually is the obvious. It's not some sort of devious. Like, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> it's yeah. usually the what you think it is, I guess. And but you never know, I guess. And so we'll see. But yeah, the price I think would probably be a guy that's going to play less. And I think Jacobs maybe gets a, a, a couple more swings in there. And then I would also – Julian has to play more, right? I mean, there's no other way. Right. Uh, so we had a couple questions here that tied in together, sort of. One on, you know, where do we think Brad Holmes' head is at with Jared Goff here? And then the other being, you know, how critically should we look at this past offseason given sort of how some spots on this depth chart have fallen apart? Uh, and – I know those are kind of separate questions, but they, they both tie back to home. So I'm just, if you want to hit golf first and then the, the off season, but again, it's, it's tough because we're still trying to figure out exactly how much well, time the, we need to evaluate homes here, I guess. What's the golf question? Again? Like read that question again so I can hear both sides. Uh, I can't, I got to find, find it, again, it but it was like, uh, it, it was just, you know, where do you think his, his head is at? Like, do you think okay. the first four games or the first six months here or whatever have, yeah, change their focus for next offseason or, or um, sort of how they view golf. See, now, I, I don't know. Like, and that's the that's a great question, and it's one they haven't tipped their hand on because all the talk that they, you know, all the stuff they said in the offseason about how we think he can be a, the guy here, if that's really how they felt, then I would say that, you know, that then no. I think that they're probably still in that, they still think that they they want to give him a chance, and it's only game you're going into game five out of game seventeen, and you're going to give him the full season. And I think that that's fair. Uh, you know, I don't what you know, what do you got to lose in that situation? You're not benching him, right, <laughs> or anything like that. But I guess the bigger question there, and the one that's more important, or the only one that matters, is is like, you know, what are you going to do in the draft next year at quarterback? Are you going to draft a quarterback? Are you going to take one high? And I think yes. that that's. The conversation where this all goes, and that that's probably one that's going to get louder. It's going to get louder as the season goes on, but it's also one that I don't think you're going to hear Holmes tip his hand on, and nor should he uh, at all. And for, in fact, I would I would expect him to be as much about like we're supporting Jared Goff with this you know the standard answer that you always give as much as you can until you get into off into the off season. And then you just don't say anything and you just let <laughs> you just let it play out. But no, I don't know where his head's at in that because he hasn't said. I mean, he said what he said, but I don't. If I'm trying to read between the lines, it's hard because I don't think Jared Goff's the answer, but I don't know if he disagrees with me, <laughs> you know, completely and totally, you know. I think they're in the same spot they have been the whole time, which is that they knew what they were getting in Jared Goff, for better or worse. They thought maybe there was some more in there that they could unlock with this offense, and I think we've seen some improvements over where he was last year, but mostly they were trading him for him. You know, in addition to just like working out that way with the trade package, because you knew mentally he would be fine if this was 
if this was a bad season uh, and that he would be fine. Like if you draft a quarterback and say, we're going to bring in a guy, Jared, he's going to push you. I think Jared Goff would say, all right, let's go. Like, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's I not doing this. Trade me. Like, I don't think he's that guy. <laughs> Probably not. No. So yeah, I fair. think they know that no matter what the situation is, they're going to be okay figuring it out as they go with Jared Goff. So I don't that's think anything's point. changed for them. The other question was, you know, how critically do we look at Holmes offseason? And I think that this is an interesting one because we've kind of given him something of a pass just based on what a disastrous situation he landed in yeah, with this right. roster. But cornerbacks falling apart. We've talked about how there's not enough safety depth. I don't know. Where where do you stand on sort of what they did this offseason? I you know, it's hard because we talked about this all throughout camp and it was like, and it was the secondary especially. And I think that safety has been a conversation we've had since January. Um, and they obviously didn't do anything with it in the draft. Um, and it was the one thing I think that when we all went back and it wasn't just Chris and I, it was everybody, it was a lot of people, you know, that when everybody went back and looked, it was like, uh, you know, we really would have liked to get a safety there, you know, to, to put right. into this thing. And I think that the biggest criticism that I've had and, and we've sort of been there since like May is that they didn't bring enough in here in the secondary that they, you know, Dunbar's situation, and they've had some awkward situations. They've had some unfortunate ones that you don't, you know, Dunbar, Okuda getting hurt, you know, you didn't plan for all this, obviously, but like that, yeah, they, I just didn't feel like they brought enough Melifano getting hurt too into the secondary to give themselves the best possible sort of like even learning environment. I, I would argue like, like we just talked about, like d- is how beneficial is it? for Tracy Walker to be playing next to a safety that isn't very good compared to how much more beneficial it would maybe be if he was playing next to one that was good where he's sort of like growing right now and he's learned or at least better. And I think that those are the things that I'm looking at. And I thought the same thing with Okuda before he got hurt. What would Okuda, what would Okuda's development situation look like this year? If he was playing in a more stable secondary that, you know, doesn't have to be great, but it can't be a disaster. It can't be like, they can't be the best players back there. Like that was kind right. of the biggest criticism I think I've had and it still holds up, but I do think they, they just went too light in some of these areas. And we thought maybe that maybe they did it in the offensive line too. We were wondering about, and you know, I guess we'll see, but like secondary was the one that was obvious where it was like, there's just not enough here. And I think that's holding up here now too. And it's, you know, they've had injuries too, but it's hard to criticize though. You know, like, I don't know, tough spot. Yeah. I, I mean, it is tough because at cornerback, especially like you're, you were looking at Dunbar, mm-hmm. Okuda, Melifanwu, and Ora Worye as your top four, and you've lost three of those guys now. Right, uh, right. Like that's not so, good. Yeah, right. Like for any team, that's yeah. going to put you in a tight spot. But especially for a team that wanted to go young and didn't want to spend a lot of resources this year, like you yeah. only had so many outs. Teams aren't just giving away you know, top two cornerbacks, there's not people keep asking about trading for one, but unless you want to take on like a terrible contract or get someone who's like Quentin Dunbar, who's like, yeah, what? Let's see. Maybe he'll be better in another yeah. environment. Right. Like I, there's not a lot of options out there. Wide no. receiver too. Like I, Same I think, thing. yeah, right. You know, I, I mentioned, I think we can probably fairly say, and maybe on Dunbar too, but I think we can say on Brashad Perriman that the lions kind of miscalculated that one. That it just didn't work. You know, he mm-hmm. was banged up. But, like, I think we can say that they miscalculated thinking yeah. he might be their number two. So, I don't know. But at the yeah. same time, they've sort of gotten into the spot now where I think you found out 
that Oruwurie can be something for you. And Cephas can be yep. something for you. And yep. so this is part of the process too. It's brutal right now because <laughs> these guys shouldn't be like right. Cephas shouldn't be your one. No. And uh Oro shouldn't be your one. But if they're put in those spots and Cephas averaged twenty point eight yards per catch on Sunday and Oruwurie has got a pick in back to back weeks. So you are learning about these guys, even if it's maybe not ideal. So that doesn't really answer the question. I mean I think we I think you can always look back and be critical about the offseason, but to me, it's there were some spots where I thought they needed to be deeper, and they kind of gotten burned by not being deeper. So I think you can criticize that, but overall, we knew this offseason was going to be yeah, like, right. Let's just piece it together and figure it out, and, and we'll deal with it later. I mean, and, and to all those people who are chomping at the bit to like judge a Brad Holmes decision, you're not going to have to wait that much longer because when the winter comes. <laughs> There's going to be some things that have to happen here. And I think that, like, right. that's the conversation that a lot of people are sort of eager to get to. And I understand that. But, hey, we've got 13 more games to go, folks, before we get there. So, uh, oh, my God. But, yeah, no, it was just, what do you do? I don't know what you do. Like, you couldn't spend a ton of money on, like, a top flight corner. So I understood the you know, when we talked to Glenn in the summer about what they wanted to do with Dunbar, it made a lot of sense. But it was still, like... Uh, you know, like that's going to be tough because it's not a guarantee, you know, like even if it did work out on paper the way you wanted it to, it was still going to be a challenge to make sure that that was consistent. So yeah, it was just one of those, what do you do? I think they tried to make the best out of that situation as best you can, not giving up too much money or resources. And like you said, Chris, you have to look at it from that point of view of if nothing else, if you're finding other guys that you did, like they, this staff, this this front office was not in love with Quintes Cephas in March. Right. I think we can say. Right. And now by, you know, I don't know that, that that's something you look at and say, well, thank God, you know, like whatever. But like, it's, it's something. Take it, find it, chalk it up as a win and you move forward. And maybe that changes how you look at things going forward. And I think that that's how this staff looks at things. They look at the whole picture and that's how you got to do it as best you can. Well, I think something else too, and it'll be interesting to watch this as it unfolds over the next year or two, is this was not an easy sell, even if you wanted to go get someone in free agency. Absolutely not. No we way. Had, like, yeah. We have the worst defense in the league. We just changed all our coaches. You're going to have to start. even You're going to have to play like all the time, uh, and we're probably not going to be very good. Do you want to come here on a cheap contract? <laughs> right. Like, I just I – mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, like, I yeah, exactly. Know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Right, like Brockers, you got Brockers here, and and I don't think he was even happy about about having to come here early. Like it was just like it's a tough spot. I think next year is the one where you're going to have to put your recruiting hat on, maybe a little bit more, um, as much you can, and be a little more aggressive in some of those spots. But I would also argue, and that's a different conversation for a different podcast. But like those conversations are going to change as this year goes because we're going to see about some of these guys. Like you're going to see more of Julian Oquara, and we're going to see. What if he turns the corner and becomes a guy that that changes the conversation, right? Like that, the jury's still out on a lot of this. And I think that we're going to learn a lot here um, about not only what they have, but like what they need going forward over these next couple of weeks. Uh, so just to kind of a quick one here on, because uh, we brought up the wide receivers a little bit. Do you feel Khalif Raymond is a productive enough number two wide receiver? If not, do you think we could see Benson or Hodge get a shot or... Else, I mean, I would I like to. I would like to see Benson, I guess, because I mean, they talked he's him been up out so there much. Some, right? He's yeah, he made a catch. <laughs> I feel like he made a catch the other day. Oh, he screwed up a 
He screwed one up. 20, 20 snaps on Sunday. Yeah, he messed up one that was like a, they were going to have a misdirection going. He went in motion first, and the Bears figured it out and screwed the whole play up. But, like, no, I mean, like, I don't know. Raymond plays hard. He, I mean, like, he is, though, there's a couple of these catches in traffic that they're trying to ask him to make that I don't know if he's going to be able to do it. Like, some of these ones where they're having him squat in his own, like, over the middle, and, like, a safety and a linebacker's coming down on him and smashing into him as the ball's getting there. I'm like... Cleef Raymond is like 150 pounds. I don't know if he can catch that ball. <laughs> yeah. Like, it'd be reasonably asked to hang on to some of these. So, eh, I, yeah, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, he's their best guy there right now. I, I don't know if there's somebody better than him behind, but I think those other guys will probably continue to get opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that Tough those one. guys are over, overlapping players in this offense either. You know, no. Raymond's an inside guy. Benson's been playing mostly on the outside and running vertical routes. And mm-hmm. I assume that's probably what Hodge would be doing too. So you'd probably be talking about cutting to Cephas and, stuff, and yeah. St. Brown, I guess. St. Brown isn't even really, play- I mean, I, I don't know. I <laughs> we cut into Cephas, I guess, mostly. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think you got to get all those guys on the field. Raymond's already at a career high in catches. Uh, he's five <laughs> oh, yards yeah. away from his career high in yards. He's set a career high in touchdowns. So maybe you found a guy here that's at least <laughs> worth keeping around for a couple of years. He's only twenty-seven. Right. I don't know. I I think it's hard to complain too much about what. Yeah, he's Raymond's a done. he's a locker room guy too. If nothing, I mean, everybody likes him. You know, he works his butt off. Like he's always there. His if he makes a mistake, it's not ever because he's in the wrong spot or screwed something up. It's because he's a small guy who, <laughs> you know, it, life's hard in the NFL for guys who are not real big. So I think that that's. But yeah, no, I mean, I think it's reasonable to say that as you go forward, he's not going to be your two. But could he have a role on the team? Sure. I mean, if you put better players around Khalif Raymond, I think that he's going to look better too. And I think that there are guys like that on this team all over the place. That And it's the same conversation. It's similar to, to Walker. Like, put a better player next to him and then see what happens. Maybe he's even better, right? Like, who knows, right? So, yeah, I mean, all over the place. There's little things like that, and it's hard to focus on those. But some of those are there on this team, and I think that it's important to note those as well. All right, so we got a bunch of questions about the coaches and about the linebackers. We've hit on a lot of that. A couple quick ones here, I guess, as we wrap up. Um, This one uh, was specific to say that it wasn't being sarcastic. It was a real question. Uh, Why should anyone keep watching this team the rest of the season? (laughs) Give them some hope. I would say for all the things that we just talked about, this is a situation, if you, I mean, this is a, you are at the ground floor of this rebuild. And this staff and front office is, as far as Chris and I have been led to believe all year long, fully dedicated to the full, you know, multi-year process of how this is going to go. So the reason to watch is, is if they continue to give more work to some of these younger players like we're talking about, like, you're going to see what Julian Okwara is or isn't in real time over the next like seven weeks. And if, and if he's going to be part of this team going forward, I think that's the attraction for someone like me from my stand. You know, I'm not a fan obviously, but somebody just watching it, I think you're going to be able to discover sort of who, who can be a guy here and who can't. And I think that all things that we've seen so far is I think you should be able to trust the staff and the front office that if a guy 
proves to be someone that you kind of fall in love with as a fan, they're probably going to keep him. They're not going to just immediately cut him or trade him because, like, he said something one day that you didn't, they didn't like. And I think that that's a part of the conversation I would add in, too. That Lions fans have been screwed a thousand times by a hundred different people over the years because every time they get a guy that comes through here that emerges or looks like he's becoming something, he's out of here in the next breath for a thousand different reasons. I think this staff, based on everything we've seen so far, when I say staff, I mean front office, it is it's just more logical. I think that they're going to give those guys every reason to want to stay here and I think that if you are rewarded as you go, it's going to be it's going to be positive. So that's why I would say. I mean, I don't know. I, w- I would ask you the same question though because it's an important one for our listeners as they go forward here to, <laughs> to have something to look yeah. forward to uh week to week. Well, just on your point and to circle back on sort of the fourth down decisions. Like I think it is refreshing i guess that campbell said he's been asked keeps getting asked about those decisions to go for the fourth downs and he said here's why we did it here's what we considered here's what we'll look at now and so we'll we'll reevaluate as we go forward like he's not it wasn't just well we thought we wanted to go i made the decision he's telling you exactly everything he's telling you everything (laughs) they are doing at every moment right and so that is refreshing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it, it is a lot of the stuff we touched on. I want to see some of these young guys. I want to see Barnes and Julian O'Quara, Austin Bryant. Like, I just want to see how many of them are going to be part of this moving forward. I also think, like, the offense to me has been fun to watch other than melting yeah, down. And so I think that that is something. I still think that they're going to get get a few here maybe not like seven or eight wins but I still think they're gonna beat some teams because this offense is pretty decent and this defense has made some progress on occasion so uh I think that there's enough in this to you know I think that there's enough reason to stick around here and and just sort of see like you said this is the ground floor so let's find out how many of these guys are gonna be back for the next two three years and I think that the energy will be there you know like all year I mean like we joked yesterday and I wasn't I wasn't really joking I think Dan Campbell thought it was amazing that this was the first time someone so like personally like a milestone <laughs> like, in his life that the media <laughs> local media was questioning his decision making he was when, waiting like, on when it. Dave was like uh Dan I think some people were like disagreeing <laughs> with your calls he was like wait what people people didn't like my decision making I it's the first time hearing of this and he was like almost excited <laughs> Like, it was like, yeah. oh, that's pretty cool. I finally got, you know, right of passage. Like, I think the energy is going to be there all year long, to Chris's point earlier, too, about, like, <laughs> these guys are really transparent right now. We don't know if they're going to be transparent forever. So, so take advantage of it while you can. And uh, the mood and the attitude there is still positive. They're still working and they're still um, – the environment, I think, that they've created this year is kind of one that's a learning one for sure. And it's one that you kind of have to look at maybe a little bit differently than you would – in a regular NFL season. But, you know, if you look at it for the big picture, there's a lot going on here. And, you know, week to week, there's an awful lot to talk about every week. I mean, it's not anything that sometimes that's like overly exhilarating in terms of like, it's going to result in wins, but there's a lot going on in terms of how they're sort of building this thing pretty much every day. So, um, you know, that would be the other thing I would say too, is there's an awful lot going on here. And a lot of it is going to change in the next several months too, based on, you know, needs and everything else. So, a lot ahead, uh, even if it won't be maybe uh, a lot of wins. All right, so last one here. Uh, call your shot. When do they get win number one? I'm never picking again. We picked the Bears last week. I picked them and you picked them. And <laughs> I, I immediately got yeah, and immediately got shit-talked on Twitter. Immediately. Like, people found it. We're like, what was this about, you idiot? And I'm just like, okay, I'm never picking again. But 
if I had to do it, like what's what's the next stretch here? I I know this next stretch is like reasonably manageable. I think I don't think it's terrible. Um, they have the Bengals at some point, do they not? Two weeks. Yep, two weeks from now. <sighs> that would be one where I would think maybe the you Eagles, could get that the one. The Eagles are coming in here on Halloween. Like the Eagles is another one. Normal. The Eagles aren't good. <laughs> and, I, you know, I mean, if Steelers they're still winless, the if they're still winless when the Bears come back here, I mean, I, the, the two Bears <sighs> listeners to this podcast are going to find me and egg my house. But like, Winless into Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. What do you got? I think they're going to beat the Bengals in okay, two weeks. That's fair. I There'll think probably that's be like winnable. twenty thousand Bengals fans in the building. <laughs> but <laughs> who cares? That's one I the, that one in the Eagles game between that game and the Eagles game at home. I think they'll get one of those two, which means yeah. that they'll probably go beat the Rams and Stafford on the twenty fourth. <laughs> yeah, between. they'll beat them. They'll they'll beat the Rams six to three uh, in L A. or whatever. <laughs> All right, I don't know. so uh, nobody's picked. We haven't picked them this week in Minnesota. Uh, that's which is where the yeah, lines like are. that's actually like a game that they should compete in. But I'm terrified now of my pick last week. It's like <laughs> I I I look at the Minnesota game the same way I did pretty much. Although this is gonna be a harder cover. Uh, the receivers here are uh, a nightmare to uh, run with. So yeah, I don't think I would pick the receivers lines are here. good. If yeah. uh, I don't know if Cook's gonna play, but like that, this is always a tough matchup for it them is. up yeah. front, especially. So we'll see how it goes. I, I do think they can hang in. You're right, uh, yeah. but Minnesota this week, we'll be back again next Tuesday to break it all down and uh, look ahead. Maybe to that Bengals game. Maybe tease the draft coverage a little bit depending on how it get goes. Get into some QB uh, evals. But, uh, yeah, so again, head over to theathletic.com if you need a subscription. We're still running our 50% off deal. You can find our podcast ad-free on the app. Otherwise, get us at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, rate us, review us, send us some questions. Like I said, I'll try to get to uh, some of those questions we didn't talk about here on the podcast and answer them on Twitter, so thanks for sending those in. Thanks for listening. Uh, For Nick, I'm Chris. We'll talk to you soon.